Hey, take your Bibles today and turn to John chapter 18. I've asked Mike to come back up because in case I lose my voice, I only have X amount of time in the voice, I think. Mike, if you come up with me, I'll slide over and make, make room for you. Mike's going to read. We're talking about, do you remember the season that Jesus is in right now? He's been teaching his disciples. He's been in the upper room. He's traveled to the garden. He's been arrested. What season or what festival are we in? Does anybody remember? The Passover. And sometimes you can say the Passover, and if you don't know what the Passover is or you just hear that said sometimes, if we don't read it or we're not familiar with it on a regular basis, we'll, we'll just pass by the Passover. So I wanted Mike to come this morning and read. If you would turn, and it's going to be, I think, up on the screen, Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read the chapter, Exodus chapter 12. This is Moses instructing the people of Israel as he got instruction from the Lord. So this is God's command for the Passover. Listen to it carefully. And then I want you to look at the scripture today that I'm going to read. And then we're going to say, what does that matter to us today as the church? So we're going to be looking at a few thousand years back, 2,000 years ago. And then we're going to be looking at right here, today's date in the 21st century. All right, so let's go together, Exodus chapter 12, and I'll turn it over to Mike. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You shall take it from the sheep from the goats. You shall take it from it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then thou shalt take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentils of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire. With the unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. For you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you or to destroy you. Then I will strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened the first day into the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. You shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for it is on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month that evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, 
you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go to the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and your sons forever. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. All right, so verse 13 is very important, and well, the whole verse is very important, but as you go through and look at that, the intent was for, for them to get all of their leaven out of the house. If you look in Scripture, leaven often, that's the yeast, and we would say sourdough bread, and you ever had people give you the mixtures? Anybody ever done that? Somebody gives you a batch of bread, you go, oh, I got good intentions to make the sourdough bread, and it just, you end up throwing it away. Anybody ever do that? And raise your hand. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to go back to the old ways, and we're going to pass this on one generation to the next, and you never end up making a loaf of bread, right? Or even a biscuit out of it. Well, that's what this was. The leaven was the yeast. And anytime you see scripture, many times in scripture, the leaven represents sin. So the idea was to get all of sin out of your house. Get the representation of sin out of your house. And that way, if you had any sin within that, in, in the total days, the eight-day period, within those seven days of the Passover, if you had any sin found within you or your household, you were to be cut off from the people. You were to be rejected from the Passover meal. You couldn't celebrate with it because you were just like the pagans. You were just like the Egyptians, the ones that you were leaving from that had you in slavery. You are just like them. Now, here's a dumb question, and, and I thought process through this. If somebody was like me, the youngest of the family, not the firstborn, had no children, I was single, do you think that would bother me? Do you think there was somebody who thought, well, I'm just a, I'm the baby of the family, so I'm not going to get killed, and... I don't have any children, so they're not going to get killed. So I could just skip this. That doesn't apply to me. Do you think there was anybody who thought through that process like that? I would tell you I think they were. Because those people were just like us. I got nothing to lose, so why should I follow those rules? It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to keep my sheep with me. I don't even have to kill my sheep. I'm, not, I'm just going to share somebody else's. I'll eat theirs and go in their house. I'm sure there was a lot of people processing through this. And I'll show you why I say that. Even today, as we talk about the, there's a word called the Paschal Lamb. That's what this is. The Passover Lamb is what Jesus was, the ultimate. He was the Passover Lamb. So this is the Old Testament. We're looking back years and years and years. And then we're going to come up to the time of Jesus. And let's go to John 18, if we would. John 18, let's look together. Beginning of verse 28, we pick up where we left off last week. John 18 is very important because we're going to see, this is actually coming to pass, what the prophetic look of what was the, the Passover lamb or the Passover. Verse 28, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. What was their purpose? They knew what the law of Moses said, 
If you go into the Gentile area, if you get with the Gentiles, what are you putting symbolically in your life? Sin or leaven. So if they went into the praetorium, they would have been sinned, and they would have had to be what? According to the law. Cut out of all the ceremonies. You imagine every religious leader in Jerusalem, there's a million people there plus, and then the whole leadership of all the Sanhedrin is cut out of. They can't go into and eat Passover meal. They can't go in and have the priest sacrifice the Paschal lamb and then eat it in front of all the people and, you know, don their nice robes and let everybody see them that they are the leaders and they are the ones who, who bring about their freedom from Rome and who, who represent them before God and they, they stick their chest out. You imagine if the entire leadership is sitting on the sidelines and can't play. Could you imagine what that looked like? What would people say? The obvious question would be what? What disqualified you? Why are you disqualified from eating the Passover? Listen, this is one of the most important festivals. It's one of the three that everybody has to come from around the world, from Europe and Africa, everywhere. Everybody has to come to Jerusalem. We all have to observe this here. It's one of the three. What made you guys disqualified? And so on the outward side, if they went into the praetorium where the Romans were, where the Gentiles were, that would make them ceremonially defiled. They would be sinful. But watch, they have no problem with being internally defiled. They have no problem, they have no problem with sinning, lying on the inside. They have no problem of d- disobeying God on the inside. They just don't want nobody else to know that you're doing it. You ever been like that? You know people who like to, who like to sin a little bit? Well, Pastor, I, I just got this little drinking issue. I don't want nobody to know about my, my issue because, you know, it's just between me, me and me. That's all it is. Listen, when people are, are dealing with their issues or their sinful issues or sinful choices, Listen, God knows about it. He says things that happen in private are going to be made public. Now, were the things of these people made public? Yes. That, should, that was a question. They, it was made very public. If you don't know the rest of the story, you might not know it, but let's continue to read. I want you to see this. So Pilate does this. Instead of coming out, uh, instead of them coming in, Pilate comes out. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? This man meaning Jesus. Verse 30, they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you, up to you. All right, first and foremost, was Jesus an evildoer? Did they have any accusation that was true against him that he had done any sin? No. So are these people lying, the religious rulers lying before Pilate? Are they ceremonially defiled for the Passover? Immediately they're defiled, right? They cannot even take the Passover according to the law of God. Who gave the law of God? Who was the first lawgiver? God himself. Moses repeated what he said, but the lawgiver. So who sees all things? Who looks on the heart of man? He doesn't look on the outward appearances that we try to put up. We, you know, we've, we've so many times talked about we've tried to put lipstick on a pig and make them pretty, Right? Y'all have done the same thing. Y'all try to dress it up and look good, knowing good and well you're living deep in sin. You know where you live, down in the swampville is where you're living. And you're trying to put on a good face. Hey, we're, we're just like you. We're religious too. We, our family loves God, and, and I'm doing the best I can. And, but you love money. You love, you love doing secret things. You love doing sinful things. And you hope nobody ever finds out. Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there's a, there's a God who sees that is his name. There's a God who knows. There's a lawgiver who spoke. And there's a God of grace as well. He sees you. The Bible says he sees you when you're sitting up right now. When you're lying down last night. 
He sees you when you're moving around then and there, whatever that is. He sees you today, tomorrow, forevermore. There's a God who sees. Let's continue to read. Don't forget that because the original lawgiver said, don't have any, any sin or any leaven in your camp. Clean it out. And these Sanhedrin, these Jewish leaders, not the Jews as a whole, but the Jewish leaders were full of sin, lying to Pilate. Verse 31, then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Was there a law that the Jews had that could actually uh, put someone to death? Yes or no? Yeah. Dishonor your father and mother? What happened to you? You were stoned to death. Homosexual? Stoned to death. Someone who blasphemed God? Stoned to death. It would, it, they, had this, they had the ultimate listed penalty of stoning people to death. So here they are lying once again. They've already lied once about their motives and who Jesus was. Now they've lied about, we don't have a way of doing this. But Jesus prophesied that he would be crucified on a cross. Cursed is the man that hangs on a tree. Was Jesus accursed? And the answer is yes, for your sake and for mine. He hung on that cross. We try to make pretty crosses. That should be a bloody, raggedy cross behind us. But we try to pretty it up and wear jewelry. So we dip it in silver. We dip it in gold, trying to make it attractive that we can tolerate the cross. Because we don't want to talk in our culture about the blood. Because the blood offends us. Even today, we talk about it when people talk about killing animals and eating them. We're like, uh, we don't want to talk about the blood. It's so gross. Listen, without the blood, there is no life. And without the loss of blood of Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life for you and me. This is the good news found in the scripture. Let's continue. Then Pilate, verse 33, entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Where did he get that notion, king of the Jews? Where did he, he didn't come up with that title. He, he wasn't just like assuming that he was, because he didn't know what the accusation was. You have to go back and read the other scriptures. We gave this to you at the top of your bulletin. Go back and read those. Matthew, the other gospels, tell you a little bit more. So what was the word interpreted king of the Jews for the Jews? The Hebrews. If they were saying king of the Jews, who did they imply? He is our what? Messiah. So what the Jewish leadership did, they took the title Messiah, and they knew that wouldn't mean anything to Pilate, right? Pilate's like, he's our savior, he's, he's our ruler. That doesn't mean anything to me. He's not threatening me because he thinks he's some, some preacher. But what they did is they took the word Messiah, and they translated it to the Aramaic so that Pilate would understand, he said he's the king of the Jews. Now what, is it, what are they doing? They're putting him up with language he understands that says, he's opposing you, he's opposing Caesar. Now what are you going to do with that? And then so Pilate comes back and asks the question to Jesus. He says this to him. And we understand king of the Jews and Messiah is synonymous. But the Jewish leadership's twisted it so that they could actually build a case against him. And Pilate asked that question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you about this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What? have you done? That was the big question. The answer, if we, if we were there, we could say what? What has he done? He's fed the 5,000 plus women and children. He's fed the 4,000. He, he's healed the blind. He's raised the dead. We, we could tell him what he's done, right? He's done nothing but reckless things. 
Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Here's the second time. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Here's Pilate's response, and here's a question you need to ask yourself today. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. We would say what? He's found what? Innocent. No guilt. I find no fault in him. Not even this title y'all have alleged against him. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you king of the Jews? Then they all cried or shouted again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, the Bible says. Let's pray. Father God, help us to get a clear grasp of what this means to us today in the 21st century. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You saw the uh, sermon title was, Knowledge Never Replaces Faith. If you had to guess, and we're just guessing today because stats are all made up by somebody, right? If you had to guess, because, you know, we just found out we turned the world population, turned 8 billion people. And I'm like, who counts those numbers? You ever thought about that? One, two. I mean, if you started counting, I don't think you could count 8 billion for the rest of your life. Who counts the numbers? Computers, those generated models, that's exactly what they, they estimate. So they don't know who, they don't know if it's 8 billion on last Tuesday or if it was Wednesday or they just estimate that we hit 8 billion. We still hit 8 billion somewhere, right? That's the, that's the big numbers. So we look at this in, the, in the, the knowledge, you could say knowledge about Jesus Christ in where you live. Let's just, let's just say, just put it in your neighborhood, right? Put your address there, put your work address, and put your school address. Can you take those three places? And I want you to think about this. So you work, your school, excuse me, you work, your school, or your, or your home address. And you, I want you to just kind of draw a circle within less than a mile around your neighbors. Just draw who's ever at your school, who's ever at your home, and who's ever wherever you work if you're still working. How many of those people do you think in that circle would know, would have some kind of knowledge about Jesus Christ? Give me a number. Just y'all help me with my understanding before I go where I think I'm going. What do you think? Somebody from this piece of the pie. 98%, okay? From where? You can't say work because that's obvious. <laughs> Neighborhood, okay? I'm not saying don't saying have a relationship with him. I'm saying know about him, all right? How about this piece of puzzle? Somebody throw out a number. It's random anyway. It doesn't matter. You're, you're exactly right because you said it. 200%? That's, that's exceeding, all right? How many of y'all think? Give me a stat. Out of those percentage of people around your neighborhood, where you work or where you go to school, how many people know the name of Jesus or know about Jesus? 100%? 100%, Joey? What do y'all think? 96? What do y'all think? 100%. Okay, so here's the deal. If people know about Jesus, then why aren't the church is full? Why aren't people praying? Why aren't people doing the work of the kingdom? What Jesus do they know? They know the Jesus that you and I model for them. They know the Jesus that the church steps forward and puts forward. They know the, they know the Jesus of the brokenness, right? 
How many songs on the Christian radio station do we talk about? We constantly talk about being broken and broken and broken. And chains are broken and broken and broken. I'm sick of the brokenness, aren't you? Now, we're broken. We know who we are. But the Bible says we're more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. Amen? We need to start singing the victory songs again like we used to and talk about who we are. We're soldiers of the cross. We're going forward in Jesus' name. Quit being the victim and start being the victor in Jesus' name. Jesus has won the victory, church. So when our neighbors talk about Jesus, don't let them get away with just tritely talking about Jesus, the baby born in a manger. He is not in a manger anymore. That happened one time and won't ever happen again. He came to this earth to save sinners, which we are chief. You are chief. You are a sinner. He came to earth to save you. Your sorry self is who he came to earth for. Do you feel like you're sorry? You're like, well, I'm not sorry. That's how we feel as Americans many times. We bow our chest out. I'm not that bad of a person. You are a worm on a dirt log. How about that? Is that getting better than that? That's who I am. That's who you are. You're no good before the King of kings and Lord of lords. One sin kicks you out of heaven. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ died for that sin, those sins that you will commit. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, listen, the Bible says, if you by faith put your faith and trust in him, you shall be saved. That should be comforting to you to know. But listen, the Muslims have one concept of Jesus. The Mormons have one concept of Jesus. The Church of Jesus Christ, a lot of things, the Mormons, listen, they'll put him up first and foremost. They'll, they sound so much like the Bible that if you're not careful, you'll be led astray. The kingdom hall people, they like to tell about Jesus, but they talk about him in a totally unbiblical context. Don't let the world own the conversation about Jesus. Let Jesus have his own conversation about himself. The Jewish leaders, did they know who Jesus was? We know that they knew who he was based on John 3. When Nicodemus came, who the Bible says a ruler of the Jews, came to him and says, Jesus, we know that you're from God. We, as the Sanhedrin, know that you're from God for the things that you do. So they knew. They had knowledge. But they didn't have faith. They, they were losing their welfare. They were losing their, 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 if you would, their insurance to actually be in the ruling parties. And I've told you time again, I believe Jesus, if they simply would have accepted Christ, they already knew the Old Testament, that Jesus would have given them a job as a pastor, preacher, and they would have traveled and, and used all that wealth of knowledge they had in the Bible, and they would have proclaimed it like Paul did, from Pharisee, murderer, to preacher, apostle. Let me get to your notes really quick before we run out of time. The men who arrested, escorted Jesus, they knew who he was. Would you agree? When they arrested him in the garden, remember, it's somewhere from three to 600, maybe 1,000 men that came to arrest Jesus with torches. You ever thought about that? All the little bibles I had when I was a kid was just like five people coming up and Jesus is smooching Jesus on the cheek. It was a vast army that came to arrest him. And he said, who do you seek? And remember what I told you, that we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, the one who saves, who's been crowned, set apart, sanctified. We seek him. And the Bible says when he spoke, they fell back. They knew his power. They were afraid. This is the God man that we're talking about today. So they knew who he was because they got thrown back in the garden. Their knowledge was so strong they were willing to lie to have him killed. They knew who he was. They knew the potential of a messiahship. They knew that he could actually turn things upside down, but they didn't understand their part of the puzzle. These men were so religious they would not enter to the Roman praetorium in order that they would not be defiled to offer the sacrifice or the eat the sacrifice 
to God on the Feast of Passover. They wanted that Paschal lamb. They had to have that lamb. Listen, we always have, what do you have for Thanksgiving every year? Does anybody have the same thing? Turkey, ham, whatever you do. Well, this is what they did on Passover every year. They always had the lamb. Eat the lamb with the bitter herbs, unleavened bread. The bread tastes nasty. It's kind of like those communion wafers we've had in the past. It tastes like some kind of trash toilet paper or something that you eat, and they're supposed to be, they're not very tasty, are they? The little white flakes, you ever had those? Well, you might have not had them. They're disgusting. So we don't use unleavened crackers. And somebody says, these aren't, these aren't the proper thing to use for the Lord's Supper. Then if you don't like the, the little crackers we use that has salt and leaven, has yeast in them, then I'd like for you to fly to Jerusalem and get us some uh, matzah, if you would. And go and get us some Jerusalem wine while you're there, and we'll use that, okay? But it'll probably be rotten by the time you get it back to the U.S. But it's symbolic. It's not actually to the point that we have to clean out the leaven today. Do you understand? Don't become so legalist like these Jewish leaders. They were very religious. Listen, they, they had religion down. They had the knowledge of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They knew them better than you and me as believers in Christ. And yet, they wanted to, they wanted to do the traditions. Remember, Jesus constantly hit them up for, oh, you like your ways. You like the traditions of men. Every rabbi would start their traditions. And so, they wanted to follow the rabbis that were in their family's tradition versus Moses, the man lawgiver. Pilate, unbelieving Gentile, wanted to know what accusation do you bring the Jewish leadership against this man? He asked very specifically, what are you charging him with? And they're like, well, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't charge him. They never answered specifically other than he says he is the king of the Jews. The lying and unbelieving Jewish leadership gave a very vague response to Pilate's question. They were poised to do anything, anything to crucify Jesus. Unknowingly, they were fulfilling scripture. Jesus was not caught by surprise by any of this. This was God's plan. And these men were falling right into it, even though they're falling into it in their unbelief. When asked, Jesus established his purpose for coming to earth. He confirmed his kingship of truth. Jesus came to this earth to bear truth to every human who would listen and believe. Listen to me carefully. Jesus came to this earth to show his kingship of truth to every human. I don't care if you're a boy or a girl, man or woman. He came to bring the kingship of truth to everyone who would believe. So many of our friends, so much of our culture, so much of the world hear the truth. Christmas is happening December 25th. Did y'all know that? Anybody know that? Did I catch you by surprise? Easter is going to happen again. Easter is, I wrote it down for you. Easter is Sunday, April 17th. Did anybody know that? Did y'all know we're going to celebrate Easter this year in, in America? Everyone's like, duh, Pastor. Why is it becoming so common for us to actually celebrate Christmas and Easter, the two most important times that God came to earth, born of a virgin, as a baby, poor as poor can be, raised as a man, died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and we can just let it go as just another event that happens on the calendar. Happy Easter. Merry Christmas. That's how we deal with it. And God's crying out from heaven saying, listen, I'm, my, my grace, my grace is waiting for you. And how many people do we talk about? You do counseling as, oh, my life's a miserable pastor. You don't know, I served Jesus for 25 years, and now look what he's doing to me. He's giving me this arthritis, and he's giving me this whatever, fill in the blank. And they go down this whole list of gripes against the holy God of heaven. God forbid that you would complain against the God of heaven for the life he's given you. 
Rejoice. When you're sick, blessed are you. Listen, when you're cursed, blessed are you. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that can make you whole. He's the one that can actually, listen, if he can't make you whole, which he can, he'll bring you on the glory. Ask him. If you don't like living here, ask to die. Ask him every day, and he might grant your prayers. If you're sick of this life, ask him, Lord, take my life. I'd rather, listen, I'd rather be in heaven early than to complain and ruin your name and reputation down here on earth. There's nothing worse for me to hear than a griping Christian or someone who calls themselves Christian. Let me complain. Let me fix that. Because there's so many people, they're in the garage going beep, 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 thinking they're a car, and they have nothing to do, no wills, no exhaust. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people coming to this church, Town Creek Baptist Church, and every church today. And listen, COVID was a great definer of who people are. Well, Pastor, I can't go to church. I just can't come because I might get sick. You're going to get sick, FYI. Raise your hand. Anybody in this building been sick before? Raise your hand. Here's the future. Here's a prophecy. Ready? I'm going to give you a prophetic word. You're going to get sick again. Does that sound prophetic? And we sound pathetic sometimes, don't we? Because we're so afraid to get a, I don't want to be exposed to other people. Then ask the Lord Jesus Christ to take you off this planet and be with him permanently. Or quit complaining. Or don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Tell them you're a Muslim if you're going to complain all the time. Right? Let Muhammad take the beef instead of Jesus. But if he's our king of kings and lord of lords, we should stand saying, listen, no matter what comes, I will stand for Jesus Christ as long as he helps me because I'm weak in this flesh. My flesh always wants to do the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants to do. But listen, there'll be others that will leave this room today, and now you'll get on some kind of social media. You'll talk to a friend and go, yeah, my back's killing me. And we'll talk about every problem under the sun. And it's, I've just told you we're going to have a medical forum so we can actually talk about realities of life, right? We want to make it better as best we can. But y'all, inevitably, we can't fix it. We can't fix it. I want you to see this. It's, there's a truth waiting for us. It's hiding right here for us. Let me read it quickly. Pilate is scornful unbelief. In his scornful unbelief, he asks Jesus, what is truth? And here's the point. Listen, brothers, sisters, and friends that are watching my YouTube and Facebook, so many people are asking this question today, what is truth? And here's what Pilate did. He turned and walked out. He didn't sit before the Lord. He's got God standing in the very presence of the praetorium. God is standing within the feet of him, within the foot of him, and he asked him, what is truth? And if he would have just waited, do you think Jesus would have taught him what truth was? Yes, Jesus said, I come to bring the kingdom of truth. This is my purpose of coming. He's this close to God. And he turns and walks out with a question of what is truth. That's how many, so many people today are. What is truth? You say, well, I don't talk about it, Pastor, because I'm not sure I have the words to say. Then put your phone devices down and get into the Word of God. Amen? If you've got questions, ask. Text them. Email them. But don't ever be, dis, uh, be satisfied with, I just don't know the answer, so I don't say anything. God forbid. What if every of the apostles and disciples kept their mouths shut going, I don't know a lot of history. I don't know. So I can't talk about the Old Testament too much. They didn't. They stood and were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that saves you is the same Holy Spirit that will guide you in Scripture. But if you don't have it on the inside, it's never going to come out of the outside. Do you understand? If you don't put it in, you don't get it out. So many of you want God to do a miracle. Let me preach. Let me teach. Let me say something from the Word of God. But they never spend time reading the Word of God. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 is what the Bible says. Let's continue. Pilate confessed Jesus' innocence. But he wanted to appease the Jewish leadership and keep a running custom. So he offered them a choice. Release Jesus or Barabbas. Y'all know, remember when Jesus called Peter his name, Bar-Jonah? Bar means son of Jonah, means son of Jonah. My dad's name was Arthur, son of Arthur is what I would be. Look at this name Barabbas. Bar, son of Barabbas, father, son of the fathers. This is the preacher's kid. This is one of the priest's sons who hate, they've heard their daddy talk about how much they hate Rome and how much they're going to actually want to, one day the Messiah's coming, they want to turn it upside down. This kid has heard it his whole life, and now he's acted out as a robber, as an insurrectionist, and he's been arrested by Rome, ready to be persecuted, and he's the son of a rabbi. He's the son of one of the religious leaders. And they yell, don't give us Jesus, the king of the Jews. Don't give us the Messiah who can save our souls. Give us Barabbas. Give us the son of the father. Give us the preacher's kid who's a rebel. That's what they ask for. And look at this. I want you to see this. How does it apply to us today? They all shouted, all. What did your Bible say? Let's look back what your Bible says. Verse 40, that final verse. What what does your Bible say? Then they what? They all cried. My Bible says they all cried. Again, not this man, but Barabbas. Not this man, but Barabbas. And y'all listen to me. We don't want the one who's in charge of, if you will, the religion. If you want to talk about the Christian religion. We don't want the God of who we say we believe. We'll take the religious person next to him. Full of sin. We know he's a fake. This will be our today's televangelist. We're standing up, and the worst televangelist has promised you, if you don't sow a seed, you're not being saved. I heard one just say, you can't know that you're saved. You can't have eternal life. If you had eternal life, you'd live in sin. You'd do all these crazy things. That's who is being compared to if we compare it to today. The televangelist says, you can't have eternal life. And Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. You got these shady preachers today, preacher, you can't know that you have eternal life. Why? They want you to depend on them. They have a religious system. They want you to depend on them. And Jesus says, no, I want you to depend on me because I'm the giver of life. I can give it and I can take it. Don't fear men. Because, listen, man can only hurt you here. Jesus can hurt you forever, right? There's a place of eternity. Look at this. I need you to go to one place for me. Go to 1 Corinthians. And you say, how does this apply to us today? Well, we know multiple ways it applies to us, but here's where we guard our hearts. Guard your hearts. Even the church must guard our hearts. So I need to set this up with a principle, and I want you to read this, if you would, in your Bible. Mark it. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth. What is the church? The body of believers. This is us, right? This is, this is, this is a... If he was right to the church at Town Creek, here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God and Sotheby's our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree, church? Paul was writing this letter of 1 Corinthians 
to the church of Corinth, yes or no? But to all those who believe are sanctified, he's writing to us too also, right? Very specifically to them, but broadly to you and me today. I need you to turn a couple of pages over. I want you to see how this Passover lamb is even mentioned in the New Testament church. We've seen it from the Old Testament. Mike read it, right? The Passover lamb was required by God. We've seen that Jesus this time that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And now here we are some years later. The church is being formed, and Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a dangerous place to be, but we'll read it anyway. Beginning of verse 1, you say, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Listen, stay with me. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. and Such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. How sick is that? This is his stepmom. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has done such this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You say, what is this world? Where are we going with this? Stay with me. I want to tell you the same story right here happened to me when I first came here as pastor. Someone said I wouldn't allow their, uh, their um, nephew to come to church. And I, I purposely invited that nephew to come to church, sat right here, right where Mike's sitting. And he and his wife and three, three boys. And, and those of you the long-term Town Creek people know who this is. I was shocked that this happened in the New Testament church. Let me continue. What should we do with that one? Deliver that one to whom? Satan, don't have this relationship. That's so morbid. Even the law, Old Testament law says don't do this. This kid that came here married his stepmother. And those three boys that were sitting here was his stepbrothers. Raised them as his sons or Bubba or whatever they called him. Y'all, it happened in our church, Town Creek Baptist Church. So don't say, this is some pie in the sky crazy mess. It happened here. And I addressed it immediately after that when someone told me what happened. Watch what God says. What does that do with the Passover lamb? Let's continue. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What is a little leaven again, church? A little bit of sin sins the whole church. Before God, the whole church is in sin. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a, lump, uh, may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean that with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an adulterer or a reviler or drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what I have to do with judging those who are outside the, uh, the church, do you not judge those who are inside the church? 
But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Church, do you think we should deal with sin within the house of God? Paul is very clear. He likens it back all the way to the Old Testament, to the uh, Passover lamb. Listen, you've got to clean all the leaven out to actually be righteous before God. Jesus said the same thing. And here Paul writes the same thing to the church. Listen, don't forget the Passover lamb. Get rid of the leaven. Get rid of the sin of your life. Don't hang around these people. Don't let these people call themselves Christians and sneak into your life because they will take you away. Paul warned later they'll come in wolves as in sheep's clothing. You know them. And listen, some of y'all might be that person. But I want to tell you as, as a shepherd of this church, if I can find out that you're that wolf, my job is to convert you or kill you. Amen? I'm not going to put a bullet in you, but I'm not going to let you get in a position of leadership. I'm not going to let you get to hurt our children, our youth, or our ladies' ministry, men's ministry. My job is to, as an overseer is to oversee as best I know how. Your job is to pray for me, keep me accountable, keep me up to the place that actually, Lord, help him because he's under that pressure. And I am under a lot of pressure sometimes to actually keep. We have 46 employees. How do we know what everybody's doing at one time? Uh, we have, I don't know how many church members, how do we know? The answer is we don't keep tabs. We don't come check your refrigerators. We don't, we don't look at your social media unless you put it out there. If you put it in my inbox, I'm going to call you on it. Don't go out and be unchristlike, and then want to come sing the songs of glory here on Sunday morning. It's a waste of your time, and it's a waste of our church reputation, and especially the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are his. This is not necessarily Town Creek Baptist Church. This is the Church of Christ meeting at 250 Town Creek Road. To argue any other case is to argue a mute point. We come here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We come here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Will we always make the right decisions? No. Are we sinful creatures inside this body of our sinful self warring against the Spirit of God? Yes. But let me be very clear on this Passover lamb. Listen, we will do our best, our very best, as Jesus is our leader, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep the leaven out of the house of God. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ and to speak a good word for the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, this word is heavy and strong. But Lord Jesus is about, as we read the, in this narrative, he's about to go to the cross of something he didn't do. He's about to bear the sacrifices of our sins. Oh, Father, I thank you that he did that, that this didn't catch him by surprise. None of this is happening as we read it. We read it as a past narrative. Father, it really happened because it was your plan. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't come and hide the truth. He came and said, I came. His kingdom was to come and bear the truth. And he later said, uh, earlier said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today if somebody in this room has been playing the religious game for so long, they're worn and torn over religion. I pray they'd give their heart and life to Jesus Christ today. They would know that they know that they know that they're saved and that knowledge would replace fear. No matter, Lord, who we are, whether we're on the platform, whether we're on the ground here in the pews, whether we're watching children, Lord, let us know so that we may have that joy of knowledge. Lord, in knowing, Lord, in by faith, trusting you because you give us a measure of faith. We're in need, Lord, of more and more of you each day. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.